This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Our guest today is a repeat, Stephen Hewitt, CCXPFIC founding director at iCustomer. He is the author of The Customer-Centric You, People-Centricity, and Customers Are the Agenda. And he is an expert in the customer experience that creates a unique competitive position in the marketplace. He is an ICG global thought leader, and we are going to talk about how the customer experience expectations are changing and how to create innovation in the customer experience to stay ahead of your competition. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here again. Let's dig straight into what has changed since we had a conversation a little over a year ago about customer experience and what customers are expecting. Sure, this is a rapidly moving marketplace. And we talked last time about Kano. So just to remind you, uh, listeners, that's the principle that uh, what is new and exciting today becomes a need or a mandatory requirement tomorrow. Indeed. Uh, Kano spelled K-A-N-O, just, right. for, yeah. just, just so, so you can find it, the Kano principle. And indeed, and we're finding this is happening faster and faster and faster, or at one time was a nice to have, is now a must have if we're going to keep customers engaged. Yes. And that, as I probably mentioned before, so my own approach around needs and wants means that wants become needs much faster. And uh, when Kano created this piece of research back in, I think it was the 90s, there was a reasonable period of time between a want becoming a need. And as you said in your introduction today, that's accelerated dramatically. Um, you know, We're dealing with clients where they've made a substantial investment in what they see as an innovation 
expecting that innovation to put them in a good place for maybe a couple of years and maybe three or four years. And on occasions within months, uh, that new yeah. piece of innovation they've done has suddenly become a, a mandatory requirement of the service or the experience that they're providing. Indeed, mandated is a really good way of saying it because customers absolutely insist on it. As of about a week before the recording of our conversation in the United States, Amazon announced that Prime members are going to be getting same day and next day delivery in a substantial portion of their service area. What that means is why would you ever go to the store to buy something you can get from Amazon? Because you can hit your, your smartphone and have something delivered within the next 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And and so how do retailers compete in this environment of the endless aisle? Get anything I want and almost instant service. I can get it today, maybe tomorrow and almost infinite customer service. If I don't like it, they'll take it back. Yeah. I, uh, so here in the UK, Amazon have had that service in place for a couple of years now. And it's a very compelling proposition. You know, we, uh, I don't know how well known it is in the US, but we're having, you know, a number of retail failures here in the UK um, with big brands that have been around a long time because they're finding it difficult to compete in this space. Mm-hmm. And even when they have the muscle to compete, so I, I have a client who's a national retailer here in the UK. They produced a service which allowed you to have same day delivery. So it was a brilliant service. You can you can order as late as 6 p.m. and have the goods delivered to you before 10 p.m. that day. Wow. Uh, Same day up to 10 p.m. Wow. Yeah, that is Absolutely. It's it's an amazing service. Um, We monitor their customer feedback. And to do that, they had to make a very significant investment in their logistics process. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we know by listening to their customers is that literally after somebody has used the service three to four times, that's no longer a wow, as you just said. It's a mandatory element. Um, And we know that because customers will complain. If they can't get the goods the same day or the item isn't on that, it's called fast track assortment. And that becomes a problem. So it's a good example, despite, you know, multi-million pound investment in the UK, uh, that innovation can be washed away very quickly by customer expectation. So you ask the question, you know, what can you do to compete with that? Um, I think what we're learning in customer experience is that the big new battleground is emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. connecting to your clients. Uh, again, this is kind of common sense, but it's connecting to your clients in a way that um, you're, you're leaving, them the, leaving them with a warm, fuzzy feeling. And there are a number of very discrete components that that can be broken down into. Well, yet, yet emotional connection to customers has been shunned and even avoided in the past. This concept of business is business and friends are friends, and we don't really want to mix those two. So we're making a pivot from a cultural standpoint, if we're going to be embracing a, an emotional component to our vendors, are we going to get to the place where after we order a pizza, we say, love you. Bye. Well, I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to get to that place, but um, you're right to say that the emotional element has been played down. I, I, why is that? My opinion is because it can't be. Well, up until this point, people found it difficult to break it down into some nice components that fit into a business process. Well, I think um, I think that's yeah. part of it. True. And Stephen, yet another piece of this is we like to have emotional components be genuine. And the yes. moment that we have emotional components faked, well, except for the movies and amusement parks and 
some of my girlfriends, uh, they're, <laughs> it gets thrown out. So, all right, I want to hear what you can say as far as how do we get emotional connections with customers? How, how can we do this and keep it authentic? So I, I think the first thing is you have to ensure that you don't create a negative emotion as part mm-hmm. of your service. So we come back to, you know, what is my speciality, which is this whole needs and wants approach where a need is described as something that if you don't deliver it, the customer will say that you're failing them in some way in terms of the product, the experience or the service. So, you know, the worst possible emotion you can generate is a, is a sense of failure and being let down. So from a practical point of view, you have to have defined those needs uh, in the context of the customer expectation in your business or your sector. And you must deliver those really well, as uh, well as you can. But here's the thing, at the lowest possible cost, because as we've just said, these are basic needs. Um, You will not get a positive emotion, but you will avoid a negative emotion. Uh, so what that means, in, in essence, is you'll never get patted on the back for delivering needs really well. But if really, what we're talking about here is hygiene. It's fundamental. Keep yeah. keep the emotion clean, like you keep your shop clean. Yeah, you can't you can't begin to build a positive emotion until you've ensured there are no negative emotions in the in the interaction. Uh, and I call them needs. You can call them hygiene. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And you should know what they are. You should define them, and you should measure them for your business. And do you know what, Mark? So many businesses don't. Yeah, they don't. I know what they are, but they don't. They assume that intuitively they're doing it. And that's the first big learning point. Now, if you can if you can do that and you can be sure that you're not creating negative emotion in your interaction, in your service, in your product, then you can start to look at the small number of things. And you know me, I love simplicity, and it is literally a small number of things that generate positive emotion. Um, So these are the things that you need to invest in, in terms of innovation, in terms of relationship. Mm -hmm. And it is possible to create a relationship, even if you're a retailer, for instance, that has a seven-year cycle, maybe in in the furniture market, it's still possible to do that. But you have to have this very clear definition and breaking things down into this stuff I never get thankful, but I have to do it really well. And I have to do it as cheaply as possible. Hygiene or needs. This stuff is all about innovation around wants. And I also need to know how quickly a want becomes a need. Um, mm-hmm. so example I gave you just now where multi-million pound investment in logistics, it's a great thing. Customers do appreciate it but it's rapidly becoming a hygiene or basic need for that particular brand. Mm -hmm. So is there a way for us to keep an eye or measure this shift from uh, want to need uh, to determine the velocity of it? Or uh, I have so many questions that have just flooded into mind. That's the first one. The second one is, is this along the, the lines of the traditional Moore curve, adoption curve, crossing the chasm type of thing? where you have certain customers that'll be ahead of the curve making certain demands and other customers will not really care for a while. Yeah. So that's definitely, um, that's definitely a factor. I think um, the, the first question is to answer about, you know, how do I know the, the velocity of the change? Mm-hmm. That is a challenge, but I would argue, and I do argue to boards that that must be a fundamental component of your investment strategy. It's no longer acceptable to not know 
how quickly your innovation around products or services or experiences is going to last. And, and there are a number of factors to that. Um, obviously, what you do affects your marketplace. But of course, what everybody else does affects your marketplace. And increasingly, it's not nicely layered into verticals now. So um, somebody making a change in the insurance industry to the a new innovation, that will quickly translate itself across the things like banking. Uh, and even oh, oh, indeed. So the, the first question is, don't just look at your industry, look at the wider customer experience and what people expect. And then you have to have a defined view of how quickly the Kano effect or the uh, transition from wants to needs is going to last for any particular investment process that you're making. I'll give you an example. So we worked recently with a, a large international media company. They essentially buy licensed material from the Hollywood studios, and then they relicense and resell that material to a number of what's called platforms around the world. So um, the platform might be a mobile phone company in South America, or uh, it might be Sky here in the UK. And part of the distribution process is these things used to be originally sent on big tapes. Um, more recently, they get transmitted electronically, and now it's all about cloud distribution. Now, that company had been investing a significant amount of money in, in a cloud distribution network so they could upload the content to the cloud and the mobile phone operator in South America could download it and play it out across their mobile phone platform. What we discovered when we started asking these questions is the clients of that company were saying, well, do you know what? Actually, this big innovation that you're doing where you've spent millions of dollars investing in a cloud platform, yes, we really want that, but actually we wanted it two years ago. So that's, that's, right. not a, that's not an innovation now. That's something we need. That's a hygiene factor. And then, of course, the next question they ask is, so what's the next piece of innovation you're working on? And the company, of course, has to say, well, what do you mean? We're still working on that cloud platform. We haven't got anything else in the pipeline. So here's an example where, again, understanding this simple relationship between needs or hygiene factors and wants has a far-reaching impact on your investment and strategy for business. So well, this is an organization that believed it was going to deliver something that people wanted, uh, but in fact, it already transitioned to a need and they had nothing else in their development pipeline. Well, I think this is a great example of the classic innovator's dilemma on steroids, where the customer expectation outstrips the R&D capacity of a particular company. And what I expect is going to happen is this is going to substantially shorten company lifetimes if they become devoted to a particular technology development uh, without really considering what the customers are going to want next. And we're going to have to get really good with our crystal ball to figure out what customers want and how quickly they're going to want it. You know, I think another piece of this too, Stephen, is that generationally, as we're bringing now the Z generation into play, the Z, a Z gen can now sign contracts. <laughs> and they have a very different view of the planet and their expectations are very different because for them, technology is embedded in their bodies. Just uh, they grew up with a mobile phone in their hand, you know, from the time they were teething, a lot of them cut their teeth on a mobile device, literally, not just figuratively. And so we have generational pressures 
that are really going to drive interesting things at an accelerated rate. And I tell you, baby boomers can't even expect to keep up. Gen X is going to going to pedal very fast. Millennials might be able to keep up, but there are so many new pressures now on the expectations of customers at an ever increasing rate. And it's going to require completely different development strategies and go to market strategy for us to keep up. What are your thoughts? Yeah, again, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I have a four-year-old grandchild who constantly tries to swipe left on my television set. So uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't actually just leaves his finger mark. But anyway, um, but again, you're right. So look, there's a. I, I think, and this is the advice I give to clients. There's a fundamental issue. So it is now a critical factor that you stopped trying to invent internally. And what I mean by that is that it's no good anymore sitting in a back office going, do you know what? This is the next greatest thing that we're going to produce for our customers. And so many organizations still do that, believing that they know best. And of course, their views always skew uh, around their own internal thinking. You have to start that process by listening to um, your uh, target market segment and then you have to be clever and take those views and create the new exciting thing. And I'll, I'll quote the, I'm not sure if it's an apocryphal story or not, but I'll quote the Henry Ford thing where he said, yes. I'd have asked my customers, you know, what did they want? They would have said a, a faster course. In, <laughs> it, indeed. Indeed. And, and, and no, we, we can't prove that he ever said it, but boy, is it a worthwhile story. It's a, it's a great story. And it does illustrate this point perfectly because, because what did he do? Well, allegedly he, he created a car, and and I think this is a great analogy for our time. So Indeed. we have to, we do, we absolutely do have to listen to what customers are saying. They probably won't have the answer, but they'll have all the clues that lets you create the answer. But yeah. many many organisations are missing that first vital step, and they start the development product uh, process internally. Uh, I have another client here in the UK. It's a financial client. They spent millions of pounds producing 25 new products last year. They sold two of them. Uh, these are wow. you know, software package products. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they sold hundreds and well, thousands of them, but they only sold two of the 25 new products. Um, that's just because they were not aligned with their clients. It's as simple yeah. as that. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the Internal Consulting Group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. Well, as the executive of the organization, your job is to steer the company to where the customer money will be in the future. There is no other reason. There is no other option. There is no other behavior. There is no other focus. And so understanding where customers are going to be in the future, want to spend money in the future, requires a lot of thought, a lot of insight, a lot of conversation. It also means that you have to be able to align yourself with customers who are thinking ahead versus trailing behind. And I think that the real point of innovation today is getting your, your hands and head wrapped around your customer parade and knowing where that parade is heading 
And so you can start to open up stands along the parade route so people are going to buy things as they pass you by. Is that a reasonable metaphor? I think it's a very good metaphor. And uh, I'd I'd augment it a bit by saying that going back to the conversation we had earlier about velocity. Mm -hmm. So if you're really clever, you'll realize that that the you know the, the bus has already left or the gates already closed on a number of those near future innovations. You simply Indeed. don't have time mm-hmm. to catch up. So forget those and try and leapfrog ahead over those and get to the next thing. So Stephen, yeah, I want to get to that. But what this means is that the concept of market chasing, which is one of the three horizons of innovation, is starting to close. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I think it's probably already closed. That's a big deal. Uh, yeah. Listener, you've heard a couple of really massive uh, thought bombs here, one of which is that one, the fact that H1, which we've typically talked about, even on the show, is becoming less and less relevant as a business model. The second big one is the critical factors. You've got to stop internal invention. And yeah. I believe that the, what we replace that with is, is marketing. Yeah. It's not just invention. It's about marketing. It's about understanding the market. Please carry yeah. on, Steve. I was going to say, so I do think that the pure definition of marketing in the sense you're using is, is correct. However, again, you know, I see lots of marketing, which is not true marketing. It's trying to uh, promote an old idea or an old concept that people have moved on beyond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the risk of upsetting a lot of marketing directors, um, I think a lot of marketing is by its very nature internal. Yes, internal department saying, this is what we're going to sell. This is what we're going to promote to our customers. The really, you know, the best possible marketing is the one that fully embraces understanding the customer. Now, your listeners will probably say, well, that's obvious. Yes, it is obvious. But time and time and time again, I come go to organizations that simply are not doing that. They're still running on a 1990s version of marketing. Well, yeah, they're calling up their agencies and say, saying, put together a pitch for us. And so they have ad agencies guessing they're not even getting it internally. Yeah, um, absolutely. So the, the ad agencies are, you know, even one more step away from the <laughs> So it's even worse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So how can we pivot our companies to better embrace the future view of our customers? Um, so I think there are these very simple steps. I think that the first thing is you must have defined and structured and measured how well you're meeting customer needs because that's the fundamental building block. If you don't have that, you can't move to understanding the future and innovation. And, and let me point out, that's your area of expertise. That's what you do for your clients. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, we, we go in, we help them define, structure and measure how well they're meeting these hygiene or, or basic need factors. Mm-hmm. Once you've done that, you can create clarity in the organization about where is innovation, where should it be going, is stuff that we have in our current innovation pipeline actually just a late delivery of a need? And you can understand that by listening to what your customers are telling you. And therefore, what's the genuine innovation? And and the points we've already raised, which is, you know, don't start with an internal view, start with the external view, and then enhance it with great people who understand the industry. And then also, you know, you, you must know 
if I'm starting out on an innovation project, how long um, have I got before that is no longer innovation and it's just a, a, a hygiene or a need factor? I love it. What that brings to mind is this question of what is the statute of limitations on thought leadership? It's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Absolutely. It's accelerating. And, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff we heard in the noughties about, you know, agile development and all that, boy, is there never a better time to apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not already on that bandwagon, then you're probably already too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's too much inertia. And we have to almost yeah. be like butterflies from a, a developmental standpoint. Yeah. Although I, th- I think it is still possible to have a sensible structured approach. Um, but only if you follow those simple steps we just talked about. Great. So we have to define structure and measure customer needs, essentially the hygiene. Those play, those have to be in play. Otherwise, we don't even get to bring innovation to those customers. Yeah, you don't have permission to innovate to those customers. Oh, man, what a beautiful way of saying that. So now we have some clarity in the organization about where we're headed. And then we take a look at the pipeline and understand where we are with our innovation. Are we late? Are we Are we on time? Is this genuine innovation? How long will this innovation be considered innovative? And then putting together the agile systems that allow us to have new offerings that are going to be of value to our customers as their view of what's interesting and important changes. Yes, exactly. Sounds simple. I don't think it is. Uh, Well, you know, my other favorite sayings is creating simplicity is often hard. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, but it's but I, I absolutely fundamentally believe it's it's it is the new thing. It is a a vital factor in surviving and creating a sustainable business going forward. Uh, I get I get quite passionate about this, uh, you know, and I think um, many organisations simply do not understand, the, you know, the seismic change in the marketplace. And I, I hear lots of CEOs talk about, you know. Um, well, of course, the customer is important to us, but unless you can practically do these things, I don't think they really realize how important they are. Indeed, indeed. And well, that cushion that we had for years and years and years, because you only could get Henry Ford's first car in any color you wanted, as long as it was black, those days are gone. And so there's so much competition, so many choices, so many different ways of getting the job done so many different accelerations of cultural shift. It's just absolutely fascinating. So how about some uh, examples of some of the things you've done for your clients in taking them through this journey we just described to our listener? Let me give you some examples of an organization which has failed to meet the basic needs, first of all. That'll work. Um, And then we can look at one that's thinking about... We all have train wrecks. So tell us a train wreck story. So uh, here in the UK, we have um, a popular trend in the last five to six years has been the introduction of upmarket burger restaurants, uh, which are, you know, a luxury item. They're they're a proper restaurant as opposed to a McDonald's. And we've seen a number of these chains grow. Um, We recently did a piece of work for one of those chains. They expanded from about 10 restaurants in the London area to over 100 restaurants across the UK. It was a a very rapid expansion. And that's because, uh, you know, there was a demand for their services. However, they then started to see a quite dramatic fall off in revenues. And they asked us to come and help them and understand why that was. So uh, there were a number of items. One item that sort of 
stood out as part of understanding their needs of the customer was the fact that the pricing approach they had was the same in London as it was in uh, Scotland. Hmm. And as you may or may not be aware, um, you know, pretty well any restaurant can charge a lot more money in the West End of London than they can in other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, now, the Scots the, are known to be thrifty. Uh, they are, yes, indeed. It wasn't just Scotland. Um, but one of the fundamental things that came out was that the management team at the time had focused all their efforts on the environment of the restaurant. So they were making the environment look swish and great and, and welcoming and comfortable to be in. And these are all very good things. But what they missed was that the customers were saying, well, that, that's great, except I can't justify the value in my local region of the cost of your meals. Mm-hmm. Now that, I want to be clear here. That's not price. That's value. That's right. So they knew they knew they were going into an upmarket burger house. They knew they weren't going to pay the price they were paying at McDonald's. It was just a bit too much. So they'd failed to understand that as a fundamental need of their customers. And I, I have to feel that the value of this meal, in the context of where I'm eating it, um, is really important to me. And the fact that you've got really wonderful decor and it's very exciting and it's a great place to be is is good but it's not good enough. So Mm. that was a classic example of a needs failure. So no matter what innovation they did, that wouldn't make any difference because they were already failing to meet a need. Therefore, they'd lost that permission to innovate for the customer. Um, So that that was one example. In terms of actual innovation so i'll go back to the media organization i was talking about earlier who were um, you know busily investing in their cloud distribution platform uh, which was probably about two years too late so what they were able to do when they realized that that was the case so they they did two things they accelerated the development of a cloud platform because it had now become a need that they needed to deliver to their customers. Um, But the other thing they did was they started talking to their global clients. And this is a B2B example, but it works just as well with B2C. Mm -hmm. They started talking to their global clients, the people who played out the content, asking them, what what is it you actually want from us as a service? And a number of their global clients came back and said, well, you, you know what it's all about for us? It's all about stickiness of subscribers. So if I have a mobile phone uh, with a uh, mobile phone network, I, I want to try and keep them with us. That's just common sense, right? That's right. Um, so one of the things they have started development on is a product which allows the user, the end user, the consumer, the, the person who has the phone, to actually curate genre content. So what that means in, in simple speak is if I love fishing, um, not only can I bring together on my mobile phone, uh, you know, documentaries, news clips about fishing. I can bring in interesting website information about fishing. I can find news articles about it. And I can help to curate that myself as the end user. But the platform makes that easy to do. So it allows the um, consumer to curate their own content. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting kind of piece of innovation because, as you said earlier in the com- in the discussion, there are lots of people out there who live on their phones. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, can they go? Can they go do that themselves? Yes, of course they can if they're prepared to put the time and energy in. Here's a platform which allows you to do it quickly and easily, and that's a genuine piece of innovation, I think. And it's Indeed. driven from what the consumers of that kind of tech are telling the platforms. Indeed. 
And so this concept of allowing the consumer themselves to define their own experience and curate that experience and do so that supports their identity, then more tightly connects them emotionally to their mobile device. And that really circles us back around to the beginning point of it's about connecting to the clients emotionally. And uh, I'd like for us to spend just a few minutes talking about how you see we can do that, bring emotional connection innovatively to create that that next level of uh, innovation to our customers. So I think this is a, another critical point. So I, I think that it's it's often the really simple things that make a difference. And I think organizations also have to understand their place in a consumer's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm a mobile phone work, my phone is very important to me. Um, and therefore, you as the mobile provider, it's important that you do all the basic stuff. If I lose signal, that's a failure of basic needs. That's really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I can, you know, I can get a warm, fuzzy feeling for a few seconds about the fact that, well, this is cool, isn't it? I can create stuff together. That's enough, actually. It, this mm-hmm. emotional connection does not need to be grandiose. It does not need to be an all-encompassing life change where a consumer falls in love with a particular brand. <laughs> there will be occasions when that happens. But for most brands, we're talking about, again, a small number of key things momentary things that in the consumer's mind and memory and emotion are viewed as positive by them. Mm-hmm. And that's what businesses should be seeking out, not the grandiose plan, but the small number of simple things that just get people. So just liking something that's is it. sufficient. That yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, we all have lives, you know, we all have families, we all have uh, big things to do, you know, um, worrying about, you know, I see so many companies who fall into the trap of thinking that their product, service or experience is the most important thing in somebody's lives. A very occasion, it might be if you're in healthcare, but, you know, 90% of the time, it's a momentary thing. So what we're looking for is small momentary blips where we go, that was cool, or I like that. And that's quite powerful. And if you can match that outcome to your innovation and delivery of your basic needs, I think you're in a pretty good place. Indeed. Well, you know, I think it would probably take an entire day's conversation to explore how we can create those small momentary blips of emotion into a system. And I'm going to summarize that in my experience in a single word, culture. Yes. It ends ends up being the culture of your company that has the capacity of delivering those momentary blips of emotion. So I, I would add to that, I think it's also education. So everything we've spoken about in the last 40 minutes or so, none of it has been very complicated. It's all pretty straightforward. A huge amount of it is common sense. So the first thing we have to do is, I suppose you might call it uneducate businesses who oh, yeah. themselves into this uh, you know, ridiculous internal view where they're still trying to market stuff from 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And you have to educate them to think in a different way. If they think in a different way along the lines we've just talked about, meet the needs, understand the wants, and do some you know, interesting innovation that give these momentarily positive emotional moments, actually... That's a great foundation to start because everything else you do in a business can be designed around that. And you can put process in around it, but it has to be around this new cultural mindset. 
All right. Excellent. Stephen, what a great conversation. I'm certain that our listeners are going to be doing some rewinding and note taking as uh, I've taken lots of notes in our conversation today. How does our listener get a hold of you to engage with you to figure out how to define structure and measure customer needs and then create the path to a more powerful competitive position that can be maintained and sustained? Sure. Okay. Well, if, if you're in the UK, you can go to www.icustomer, or one word, .co.uk, and you can reach me through that website. If you're anywhere else in the world, and we do have a number of international clients now, as far as New Zealand and the Middle East, then it's probably best to go to the ICG website. So if you want to look it up on Google, it's ICG Australia, and you'll find links within that website to me and my okay. email address. And indeed, there's also links at the show notes page for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. What a great conversation. And thank you for being an extraordinary global thought leader for the Internal Consulting Group. That's a pleasure. It always is. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to listen to more shows download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.